Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. Today we're going to be talking about the patterns and the process. I want everybody to say the patterns and the process. That's called an alliteration. See, I'm homeschooling my kids now, so I'm having to relearn everything that I've forgotten from grade school, but I'm getting it, the patterns and the process. I loved our worship this morning because the Holy Spirit, if we listen to him, he says the same thing from start to finish, same thing. But we're actually going to be in Judges 6 today, and... um, This whole message today actually started, I mean, it's been a season, but Pastor Matt showed you a video of us in Ottawa uh, a few weekends ago. I don't know if you saw that, but we were able to be a part of a national worship event, and we were asked to stand on stage and represent pastors from Canada and pray and declare over our nation, and... um, I'm going to get into a little bit of what that was about, but let's start in the text because this whole thing sort of started with this moment. We're in Judges 6, starting in verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. There's a moment here, and I don't know if you've ever found yourself saying this, but Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, Why has all of this happened to us? I don't know about you, but a few weeks ago when I was driving into Ottawa for this event, I actually didn't know that I was going to be 
asked to pray. I was there to support Pastor Matt. I knew he had been asked, and I was just going there to support. And on the way, I just, you know, you don't get to choose the time and the hour when it hits, and it hit. And I just broke down, and this was really the cry of my heart, like, God, if you have been with us and you are with us, why has all of this happened to us? Why? And I cried out to God, and I said, God, if you want me here, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to show up and let me know. Because I'm going to need some proof. And I said to Pastor Matt, later on in the story, we're going to get into it. I said to Pastor Matt, I just feel like I'm Gideon. Like I'm in a fleece season. In this story, Gideon says to God, God, if this is really you, he said, I'm going to put out this fleece. And in the morning, if it's wet, it's you. And then he makes God do it again. And he puts God through lots of tests. And I said to God, God, I'm in a fleece season. I'm going to need you to show up. And I'm going to need you to show that this is really you. And within 10 minutes, we got a text message and our pastor friend was like, oh, Matt, please let Rachel know that she'll be praying tonight as well. And you'd think, you know, you get this opportunity to stand in front of, you know, 4,000 people and pray. And I got on that stage and 40 minutes earlier, I had just been crying out to God being like, I'm done. And I get on that stage and I've got nothing to say. Absolutely nothing. And God was faithful. And what I did in that moment is I just went with whatever strength I had, which was to just stand there, and the Lord filled my mouth. That's such a small moment in light of how many things happen to us in our lives and how God speaks to us. But the point that I'm trying to make is here we are, Gideon, if you don't know, earlier in the chapter, it says that Israel did evil in the sight of God, and therefore he handed them over to the Midians. Did you know that sometimes you have to suffer because of something someone else did? Here's Gideon suffering, crying out to God, where are you? for things that he didn't even necessarily do. Remember, we're talking about the patterns and the process. All throughout the word of God, there's patterns to the way that God works. And there's a process to the way that God works. And so the reason we go to the scripture is because in scripture, we learn the patterns and the process of the way that God works. So that when we're going through things, we can go, hey, this is a pattern. This is a pattern. This, I've seen this before. I've heard about this before. So Israel, the whole nation did evil in the sight of God. And now they're all suffering. And what was happening was they were so oppressed under the Midianites that they actually had to hide their food and their possessions because the Midianites would come in like grasshoppers 
in the movie A Bug's Life, and they would just strip them of every single kernel of wheat, every single amount of food they had. The Midianites would come in like a swarm and just take everything from them. So here's Gideon. It says he's actually in a wine press, which is in a pit, and he's threshing wheat in a pit to keep his family from starving. Now, I don't know if you've seen how in the Bible times they threshed wheat. My God, one bundle of wheat, you know, the tall grass that you see. He's down in a pit and he's got one bundle of wheat and they just smash it. Smash it with sticks over and over and over again. And they say that it would take one hour per bundle of wheat to thresh it. Now, I don't know what kind of job you have, but I'm pretty sure this is way more mundane, boring, and horrible than whatever you are doing, okay? One hour for a little bundle of wheat. That's when God shows up to Gideon in the most, and not only that, he's not only threshing the wheat, but he's beating it and he's having to hide to do it because the nation of Israel completely has rejected God. I don't know about you, but I've said many times, I'm done suffering because of something someone else did. Sorry, that doesn't work in this gospel. Jesus literally was killed and beaten for something that he did not do. Many times we get bitter and we get angry and we get unforgiving because we didn't do it. It happened to us or around us and now we have to suffer the consequences. And Jesus is like, yeah, you get a little taste, bro. Hebrews says, as far as I'm concerned, you haven't suffered to the point of death, so you're doing pretty good. You might be threshing wheat. You might be just beating a dead horse over and over and over and over again, waiting for something to change. But here, God shows up in this moment. And God calls Gideon mighty warrior, which in the Hebrew meant powerful champion. So I want you to put yourself in this story. You're hiding from the enemy. You're in a pit. You're beating wheat, which was the jobs of slaves. There is nothing good or notable about your life. Nothing successful about your life. I mean, Mackenzie's preaching my message for me over here. God shows up and calls you something that literally resembles nothing of who you are and what you're in. And you know what we do? Because we're in 2023 is we're super cynical and we're super jaded and we go, oh, yeah, speaking it out again, speak it out by faith. Yeah. It's jaded. It's cynical. It's satanic. 
because God calls things that don't exist as though they do. He speaks to people that are nothing like what he's called them to do, and he calls them by that name. When that lie comes, it's, I'm faking it. I'm posturing to say something I don't believe. No, it's faith. Again, you signed up for the wrong gospel if you're not willing to speak to things as though they are if they are not. God calls Gideon a powerful champion, and he has not won one battle yet. Not won one battle. And I don't know if you've ever been in this position, but God called Gideon to do something that was way bigger than where he was. Some of us on the inside, God has spoken to us. He's called us. He's promised us things that are way bigger than where we are. We look out and we're like, this doesn't really look like what you said. The thing about this is, is God has a pattern of doing this. He has a pattern of showing up and announcing something, and then letting you go through the process of that thing actually happening. This is just the way that he works. And God says a couple of things that I want to know here, and then we're going to get into it. He says, go in the strength that you have. And I want to say that God doesn't need you to be anything else than what you are. He said, am I not sending you? The point of this story is not how strong Gideon was. It was that God was asking him to do something. So you and I are never the hero of the story. You and I are never the central figure. It's never based on how talented you are, how smart you are, how much money you have, how successful you are. That literally has nothing to do with God's pattern and process of using you for his purposes. Yet those are the things that we get hung up on 99% of the time. We look at where we're at in life, where, where are, we're working, the apartment that we live in, the amount in our bank account. And God's like, I'm sorry, did I not call you? Did I not promise you? Did I not raise you up? Did I not ask you to do this for me? And there's a pattern here, and I talked about this probably a month ago, but Gideon's call follows the same exact pattern of Moses. God shows up to Moses. What is he doing? He's hiding from the enemy, and he's doing menial work to keep his family alive. How many of us are doing menial work just to keep our families alive? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay? You're working construction. You're working at Tim's. You're working in the hospital. You're doing whatever you got to do to keep your family alive. This is the pattern of the Lord. Is he's going to show up exactly where you are in exactly what you're doing. He did the same thing to Moses. And Moses, like Gideon, starts giving God all the excuses as to why he can't. And this person did this. And I'm too weak to do that. And blah, 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 blah. And God's like, Moses, I'm the one who's calling you to do this. You don't need any more information. 
You don't need any more information. God has a pattern and a process. And I think that what's helped me get through the tough seasons of my life is when I understand and recognize and accept God's patterns and processes. I'm done being blindsided by things. You know, it's like, oh, this came out of nowhere and this happened, but God has a pattern and God has a process. So I already can be sure of the outcome of this situation. If you lived with that kind of peace, many, many people are tormented when they don't know the outcome of something. Tormented. Are they going to live? Are they going to die? Are they going to be healed? Or are they not? Am I actually going to get to do the thing or am I not? Are my kids going to end up serving God or are they not? We're tormented by things we don't know. I've been there. I've been there. I've been in the window of a diagnosis and what does it mean? Am I dying in six months or am I going to make it through? I've been in that process. But one thing that I had to settle, and this happens when you face death or a deadly disease, and if you haven't, you won't understand this, but you can take my word for it, and anyone else who's been diagnosed with a deadly disease. You settle the score very quickly whether you actually believe that this earth is your final resting place or there's more for you on the other side. And for me, I had to settle that score quickly. I had a business meeting with my husband. I said, if I die, you are remarrying. Do not sit around and wait for me and be miserable. We've had, these, had to have these conversations, okay? But the reality is, is we don't grieve like those without hope. So when we are facing these situations where we don't know the outcome, we have to remember the patterns and the process of the way that God works. And that is many times the thing that helps us get through. The process that I see over and over and over again and in Gideon's story is we have some sort of call. We have some sort of process, some sort of promise. We argue with God because we need proof. And many times he shows up with proof. And the next step happens here. In Judges 6, 25... I'm not going to read it verbatim, but basically before Gideon can do what God's called him to do, God's like, Gideon, your whole family has idols. And I'm going to need you to go and tear those down. So God calls him a powerful champion, tells him he's going to use him to free Israel from the Midianites, and then he makes Gideon go and do a very hard thing that costs him his potential life. He literally says, Gideon, I'm going to need you to go and tear down that idol. And Gideon goes in the middle of the night because he's terrified and brings a bunch of servants and they tear down these giant, you know, poles and idols. And the entire town comes to the door and they're ready to kill him. God... I thought you called me a powerful champion. 
I thought we were going to free Midian. See, you and I get the, the benefit of like hindsight. Gideon didn't have that hindsight. Here he is, and he's like, but wait a minute. How am I dying if you said that I was going to help free Israel from the Midianites? The entire town shows up to lynch him. And God miraculously inspires his father and spares his life. And that was the start of Gideon's credibility with the nation of Israel. See, when you go through hard things, you get credibility so that when you have to go and lead and do the thing that God's called you to do, people are like, oh, yeah. Remember when he faced that entire town that was ready to kill him and he just stood strong and trusted in God and God delivered him? You're gaining credibility with the very people that you are going to lead. For some of you, that's your own kids. I mean, it doesn't need to be a town. It doesn't mean, need to be a nation. It doesn't, it could be your coworkers. Every time you go through a trial and you trust in God and God comes through for you, you are gaining credibility with the people around you. And you're going to need that credibility for the future when God calls you to do the next thing. And we see that pattern in that process. So even after this, though, Gideon is still panicking because he's like, okay, the town doesn't want to kill me anymore, but now I've still got this problem that this entire powerful army that robs everything that we have is still here, and they're still running everything, and what do I do next? And what happens was he does this whole fleece thing where he puts out a fleece, and he asks God to make it wet, and then he puts it out, and he asks God to keep it dry, and God just goes with it. He just he just goes with it because Gideon's got all this unbelief and isn't God merciful that he doesn't give up on us when we're like, oh, I'm going to need a sign, Lord. I'll zoom you back to my moment. I'm crying in the car and I'm like, Lord, I'm putting out my fleece. I need a sign. And can I be honest with you? Standing on that stage in front of 4,000 people and praying was not a sign to me. It was not a sign. I'm like, no, no, I need a sign. The next morning, I'm at breakfast with a pastor. Matt is there as well. We're all there. We're all talking. The pastor looks at me, and he goes, can I just tell you something? I'm like, yeah, I'm all ears. He's like, I just feel like you're in a fleece season. I'm sorry. What? He's like, I just feel like you're there and you're just putting out your fleece going, God, if this is you, show up. If you want me to do this, show up. And I looked at Matt and I looked at the Lord and I was like, God is merciful in our unbelief. He's so merciful. That guy didn't need to say that, but I needed him to say that because it was God just winking like, I heard you. I heard you. And then many other things happened that weekend that really answered my heart's cry as to whether, you know, I was where God wanted me. So let's pivot back to this story, and this is where it starts getting good, because this is where I feel like prophetically we are right now. Gideon gathers all the men to go fight Midian. 
22,000 men in total. So he's feeling real good. He's got the crowd. And in Judges 7, picking up at verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me and say my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22, there was more than 22,000 actually. 22,000 men left, abandoned him. Guys, we can't handle when one person abandons us let alone 22,000 people. There's 10,000 people left, okay? Can you imagine you're about to face an army of thousands and thousands and thousands and 22,000 people leave you behind and says 10,000 remained. And what does the Lord say? The Lord says to Gideon, nope, still too many men, sorry. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. I will thin them out for you. Don't worry. I got this. I'll clear them all out for you. As a pastor, I have to laugh. Because in this last season, I've watched people leave and leave and leave and leave and leave. And I read this and I was like, thank you, God. I will thin them out for you, says the Lord. And here's what he does. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. God is in charge of who goes and who stays. He's in charge of the people that he brought into Gideon's circle to help him win the battle. Now, do we accept a God that works like this? That says, sorry, you've got too much resources. I'm going to have to cut you back. Sorry, you're looking a little bit too successful for my liking. I'm going to strip everything you've got. Sorry, church is looking a little bit too big. It's looking a little, you know, you're getting a little too excited on yourselves. I'm going to just wipe you right out. Do we accept a God that works like this? Man, I was just starting to get into my flow. I was just starting to be able to preach again. I was just starting to be able to lead worship again. I was just starting to A, B, C, D, E. I was just ready for that promotion at work. And God's like, nah. Too much success. Too easy. Too easy for you. Sorry. This is God. This is God. Okay? And this is actually meant to encourage you. Because once again, if you can understand the patterns and the process of how God works, you will stop being so discouraged. If you keep looking around every time you get cut back and wonder what's wrong with you, you don't know God. God prunes. He cuts things back. He cuts things off. He thins things out. I know that in the world we live in, success looks like more. Success looks like lots. Success looks like we are just killing it. But that stinks in the nostrils of God. 
because every single one of us can take credit for all of that stuff. And if your life is truly surrendered to him, you are surrendering your ability to take credit for the things that happen in your life because he will get the glory. He will get it. And what he does is he thins out Gideon's army and he says, you know what, Gideon? The odds seem a little too in your favor. So we're going to have to do something about this. And he shrivels Gideon's army down to a place that there's absolutely no way they are winning. Absolutely no chance. Who's been in that place? There's absolutely no chance that you've got. No chance. And God's like, perfect. So what he does is he takes the men down to the water. The Lord tells him, the people that get down on their knees and drink from the water with their tongues, and then the people that get down and cup the water in their hands and lap it like dogs, he said, you're going to separate those people. And it says, with the 300 men that lapped the water... I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let everyone else go home. So Gideon's fighting force was reduced to 300 men. And the funny part about it is if you study the culture, all the experienced warriors that were used to be on the, being on the road and having to like stop at rivers to drink, they were the ones who were used to this because they knew their hands were filthy. And so to avoid getting sick, to avoid germs, they would go down into the water and drink. And the ones who would lap the water up with their hands had zero experience and knowledge. God not only gives them 300 men, but he makes sure that they are the worst ones of the bunch. The ones that have literally no experience with what they are about to do. Wow. <laughs> and God did it on purpose. Because he was not only trying to whittle Gideon down, but he was trying to make a point. I'm doing it, not you. And until you get that pattern in your life... Where God's like, I'm doing it. That situation, I'm doing it, not you. So then, then, says later on in verse 13, Gideon's panicking a little bit. God lets him take a friend. He lets him take Leo. Leo and me go down to the camp in the middle of the night, and we're like, God, give us a sign that we're going to win this. They're full-on panicking. God, you got to give us a sign that we're going to win. And they go and they overhear this dream that one of the Midians had that night. The guy's like, I'll read it verbatim. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. 
It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now, I'm sorry. I laugh because I get this image of like a loaf of bread tumbling down a hill. Guess what? Barley bread was the staple food of the poor in Palestine. God showed the Midianites, I'm about to crush you with a loaf of bread. I'm about to crush you with the poorest, most useless humans that I could possibly use. That is who I am bringing to tear you apart. That's literally what that dream meant. It wasn't any bread. It was barley bread. And barley bread, if you were alive at the time, I mean, it's like the saltines. It's like you can get them at the dollar store. It's like people eat them on the streets to survive that kind of bread. And God was like, I'm using the weakest, the lowest, and I'm coming to get you. And Gideon knew that. He interpreted that. He knows. They know what this means. Let me tell you something. That also echoed what happened at the water. That the Lord achieves great victories with unpromising material. Write this down because you don't get it still. The Lord achieves great victories with unpromising material. That is a pattern and a process of our God over and over and over and over again. He specializes in using unlikely people, unlikely situations. He loves it when everything in your life looks like it's going backwards. He loves it when everybody's leaving you. He loves it because you know what? Unfortunately, it takes that for us to fully rely on him. It does not take much for you and I to start relying on ourselves. It doesn't take much. And you know the best way to see that? Give someone like a lot of money and a really good job. Pretty soon. I mean, it's probably got to be within 24 hours. They're like, they're feeling great. They're feeling good. And God knows our tendency to forget him when we get everything we ever wanted. So what happens here now in verse 16 is God divides the 300 men into three companies and he gives them trumpets and jars. Now, I don't know if you know anything about battle, but a trumpet and a jar is not a weapon. It's not a weapon. He doesn't even give them weapons. He has no intention. This is not like one of those stories where like David slayed them with his mighty men when they chopped people to pieces. He gives this army of 300 a bunch of horns and clay pots. So not only... Does God have no intention of them fighting? He has no intention of even giving them the assurance and the confidence that they could defend themselves. Not even a smidge. It's not even like, here, I'm going to give you this little knife as a backup. 
just in case somebody gets loose. You know, you got to defend yourself. But really, I'm going to use the trumpet. No, no backup plan. Have you ever been there? I'm there right now. There is literally no backup plan. I got a trumpet and I got a clay jar and there's an army coming and I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to do this. And what he does is he brings them to this spot and Gideon makes the call for the Lord and the 300 men all sound their trumpets at the same time and they smash their clay jars. And that ruckus sends the Midians into a complete panic and confusion. And they literally start turning on themselves and killing each other. God has a pattern of winning battles with sound. That is why the enemy works so hard to shut you up and to keep you quiet and to keep you mellow and to keep you down and to keep you because God has a pattern of winning battles with sound and not just any sound, loud sound, sound that glorifies him, sound that was used, the trumpets were used to announce the king. It was like God's here. These men go into battle with no weapons. Their weapon was the trumpet and the smashing of clay. And you and I have been given a weapon of another kind. It's not a sword like, I mean, a physical sword. Okay, you were given the sword of the spirit. But you and I were given a voice to praise, a voice to shout, a voice to... God has a pattern of asking people to shout in order for walls to come down. Asking people to lift their voice and sing for chains to come open. A pattern of asking people to sound trumpets so that the enemy turns on himself. In 2 Chronicles, there's an entire story where he calls his people to win a battle through singing, a physical battle through singing. God has a pattern of victory through praise, through his people gathering together and lifting up his name. This is who God is. But it wasn't the 22,000 that gathered it was the 300, the 300 unrefined, probably farmers, probably had no experience, probably had never left their little five-kilometer radius of wherever they were from. The same thing happens in Chronicles. It's children, it's men, it's women. As they began to sing, it says, the Lord set ambushes against the men, and there they were defeated. You got to read that story. I'm rounding out here, and Josh, you can come. Psalms 8-2. I want you to read this, kids. 
This is about you. Okay, this is literally about you. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Do you know that when children praise God, it wreaks havoc on the enemy? Children, the picture of the weakest, the lowest, the least of these. That's just a picture. God's saying even the praise of the weakest and the lowest wreaks havoc on the enemy. Why will you not praise me? If you know what it will do, because you got to get out of here. There's no God coming for you that you're going to be able to reasonably and logically understand and break down. Give up. Give up. Honestly. Psalms 149 verses 1 through 6 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Okay, we did not make this up. Praise him with dancing. 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 Make music to him with the timbrel and the harp. That's instruments. The Bible says to make music with instruments. We don't praise him with silence. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. We praise him with noise. He wins battles with noise. Then it says, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. And this is where I want to land. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. I want you to see yourself. You're winning with the praise of God in your mouth and the double-edged sword in your hand. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, that is the only truth, that is the only thing that is a sure foundation to build your life on. You can win any battle in your life with praise in your mouth and the sword in your hand. And I'm telling you right now, if I could picture myself in this next season, as I was studying for this, I'm like, God, let me be found with your praises in my mouth and a sword in my hand. I am not giving up. I don't care if there's five freaking people left in this church. I do not care. Thin it out, Lord. Thin it out. Because we're going to lead a church of people that are interested in praising the God of heaven above every circumstance. That are interested in going out and making disciples of all nations. That are not interested in rolling over and giving in to the enemy every time he comes along and tries to tell you, oh, that person disappointed you. Oh, that person screwed you over. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, this. Good for them. 
I'm going to be found with praise in my mouth. Let me tell you something. Every single thing that can come at you will come at you. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. He's come after my family. He's come after my health. He's come after my mental stability. He's come after it all. He doesn't win. He doesn't get to win. He doesn't get to win. He only wins when you shut your mouth and go, Let's stand together. There's a sad story in the book of Psalms 78. And it's talking all about how we're going to tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he's done. So the next generation will know them and their children and their children's children and they'll put trust in God. And they'll keep his commands. Verse 8 says, Their children will not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation who were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. And then it says this, The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, bow and arrows, turned their backs on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done. They forgot the wonders that he had shown him. This brings us back to Gideon's question at the beginning where he says, Lord, I don't get it. If, you, if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? Quitting looks like forgetting. Quitting looks like not recounting the praiseworthy deeds that he has done to your children. And all they hear is you recounting every problem every pain, every issue. They hear you and your spouse fighting over and over and over and over. And instead of declaring over your home who God is and what he has done, I don't care what situation you're in. And I'm allowed to say this, guys. I'm not sitting on some mountaintop. I've never experienced anything, and I'm telling you, get over it. I'm in the valley with you. And in the valley, he is worthy of praise. And I refuse to be like these men who had weapons in their hands, and it says they turned their back on the battle, and they chose to forget what God had done for them. You know why? I'm sick of suffering for something I didn't do. I'm sick of fighting for something I didn't do. I'm sick of it. I'm tired. Don't quit. Don't quit. No one's telling you 
to be perfect, but I am telling you not to quit. Don't forget, don't forget, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, get a trumpet in your hand and a clay jar. You've got nothing to potentially win anything that comes your way outside of him. If you're living for him, you will constantly be in a place where everything is impossible except that he intervened. That's showing you you're doing something right. Why are you discouraged? Why are you discouraged? This is a sign. Gideon said, Lord, if you're with me, why is this happening to me? And he's like, it's happening to you because I am with you. Because I'm ready to turn this thing around. I'm ready to intervene and rescue my people. If you could see it, I'm sick of being discouraged when things get taken away. He is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. Blessed be his name. Is he only good when he gives you what you want? Or is he good when he strips you? I have to believe that he is good no matter what. Because to me, there's not really another option. There just isn't. And I'm here to encourage you today. Some of you are going through some hard stuff. This is the hard stuff of life. And I, my heart aches for it. But I have to remind you to not stop praising your God. To not think that this mountain that you're facing is going to be the one that's going to stump him. And to get his perspective, he gives and takes away. Blessed be your name. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. He's not only trustworthy when he aligns with your will. Tear down the idols of your will. Tear down the idols of your thinking. Tear down the idols of your pride. Tear down the idols of your disappointment in Jesus' name. And let him be Lord over the storm. Let him be Lord over the battle. There's one more scripture that I'm leaving you with, and I know I've been a while. There's this beautiful moment in 2 Chronicles, and the entire nation literally doesn't know what to do. Are you in that place today? I don't know what to do. Do I leave? Do I stay? Do I move? Do I go? Do I quit? Do I give up? And Israel lifts up this prayer. And it says, 
we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you. We have no power to face what's in front of us. And we don't know what to do. But God, let us be found with our eyes on you. With a praise in our mouth. With our children hearing the stories of your goodness. <laughs> Some of you are like, I haven't even lived through any good, real good stories to be able to tell my kids. That's fine. There's thousands and thousands of pages in the word of God of lots of stories about what God has done. And let me tell you something. If you don't think that that has power in their lives, you're underestimating. My own daughter came home last week. In our homeschool, every morning they read their word. Not the picture Bibles either. They read their real Bibles. And I wasn't there that day. She came home. She's like, Mom, I was reading a scripture today, and I thought of you, and I need to share it with you. And cracks open her Bible to 1 Peter 2.20 and reads, Though you suffer a little while, the Spirit of God is coming to strengthen you to perfect you, to hold you. My nine-year-old is preaching to me in the back seat. Don't underestimate the sword of the Spirit in the hands of your children to come along and remind you who your God is. Remind you of the patterns and the ways that he works. Don't, don't forget. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep your eyes on him. I'm telling you, he has a pattern of winning battles with unlikely odds. That's something you can rest assured in. God, we thank you. We thank you that every single day that we face, you already know about it. God, we're in this place, in your house. We come, we gather around your word. We see the patterns and the process for the way you do things. And God, we thank you that in your process, there always, it always ends in victory. So if we haven't seen the victory yet, we're still in the process. And God, we thank you for the process. We trust your timing in the process. We trust your ways in the process. But we are filled today with hope that we have not seen the victory yet. And that means that you are not finished. And until that day, and even on that day, we will continue to praise you. We will continue with whatever you put in our hand 
And God, we surrender what it looks like on the outside. We surrender the fear of looking like we're going backwards. We surrender the fear of failure. We surrender the fear of looking unsuccessful. We surrender any fears of what this world or what anyone else around us thinks. God, you have your way in our lives. You have your way in this church. Our eyes are on you. Would you have your way, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.